Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. As we bring 2018 to a close, I have an episode for you that was recorded all the way back in July. Scheduling shenanigans have pushed it around, but I hope you're excited because this week is a really lovely chat with Jason Morningstar. We talk about his game Fiasco and how, after 10 years, he's updating it in a major way. We talk about game formats, zero prep games, redesigning someone else's work, and the social responsibility inherent in game design. I love this episode, and I think it gives us all something to think about as we eagerly plot our goals and resolutions for the year ahead. We're all capable of making some incredible things, and I hope this chat inspires you to create with purpose. Let's get to the show. Hey there, heroes. This week I am joined by Jason Morningstar to talk about uh, lots of things, actually. So, (laughs) hey, Jason. Hey, what's up, Meg? I'm so glad that you are here. Do you... Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? So uh, some things that you've worked on, some places people might know you from. And I know it's a very long list, so so maybe some of your favorites. (laughs) Sure. So my name is Jason Morningstar, and I am... Uh, half of Bully Pulpit Games, which is a, a company that produces uh, lots of games, but uh, often my own. I'm probably best known for my tabletop role-playing game, Fiasco, which uh, won a Diana Jones Award and uh, has been featured on tabletop. So like lots of people have seen it and played it. And uh, I've made lots of games. And I also do some uh, consulting for uh, using games in teaching and learning. I've worked with uh, all kinds of companies like uh, Google and um, the University of California at Berkeley and University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And uh, so like I do all kinds of different stuff, but uh, games are my life. Yeah, really? I I didn't know some of those. That's really cool. What does some place like Google have you do? Well, okay. It sounds maybe it's, it might sound cooler yeah. than it actually is. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, this was uh, I was approached to design a series of games for Google Austria, and their regional branch in Austria had some very specific design uh, problems related to their unique circumstances. And mm-hmm. they approached me and said, "Can you build a series of games that participants in one of our uh, events? We have about two hundred uh, clients." that are coming and uh, we want them to have a particular kind of experience that's going to result in a particular kind of uh, uh, interaction with each other and with our employees, uh, which I did. And that was last year and it was lots of fun. That that does sound very cool. It was pretty neat. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And it was nice because I I had the opportunity to say, here's what I imagine. Here's Mm -hmm. what I would like you to do. And then uh, I turned it over to them and made them do it. So like they, they didn't fly me to to uh, Vienna to actually facilitate this game. Oh they, man! They just made it all happen. But but I I knew that that uh, they could make all kinds of crazy things happen. So like I said, well I want a three meter by three meter puzzle cube, and they were like, uh okay. <laughs> and uh, so that was nice too to have a little bit of uh, freedom, creative freedom in in uh, creating the uh, things that these people were going to engage with. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. Three meter puzzle cube didn't happen because of uh, safety regulations in Austria. It was too big. Oh, we had to, Austria, we had, come on. We had to scale it down, but they made it as big as they could, and it turned out really great. Cool. So, how big of a puzzle cube is legal in Austria? I think I think a two point five meters <laughs> or two meters. It's it's still very impressive. Okay. Still very impressive, but uh, not not what I'd imagined. <laughs> I really wanted two people to have to manipulate each component. Yeah. And uh, that it wasn't quite that big, so mm-hmm. maybe another country. Yeah, maybe somebody with looser safety regulations can make a yeah. bigger one. Well, awesome! I uh, I know that heroes that listen to the show will know all sorts of games that you have worked on, and that includes uh, tabletop stuff like Fiasco and then LARP as well. Yep, You've done quite a bit in the LARP space. That's true. Yeah, and uh, uh, that that has been sort of an increasing part of uh, my my thought and design space over time. And I'm doing probably more with LARP now than I am with tabletop. Oh, interesting. I'm curious how that uh, will affect part of what we're talking about, which is uh, revisiting Fiasco. Oh, yeah. Like if if you look at the history of the games I've made, you'll see those boundaries start to blur. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I learned more about live action role playing, uh, it started to creep into my uh, tabletop design. And of course, tabletop informs everything I do in LARP as well. 
Yeah, they, there's not as much of a delineation, I feel like, between the two as, as we would like to imagine there is. And you're you're making that muddier. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, it's, that's very true. Um, and and there are, I think there are people who are pretty doctrinaire about it and uh, don't want the peanut butter and chocolate to get mixed together. Mm-hmm. And there are probably, you know, models where that makes a lot of sense to keep them mm-hmm. apart. But for the most part, like, good technology is good technology. So if something's going to work in one format... Yeah incorporating it in a different format. It's just, that's just good sense. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's start by talking about Fiasco. Okay. Um, and why don't we start with, uh, with what, what the initial, what is, what is the Fiasco that we all know and love? What is this game? Yeah. So, so Fiasco is a game about dumb people getting in trouble. It's about uh, powerful uh, ambition and poor impulse control. It's a game that you essentially play to fail rather than to win. It's a, it's a one-shot uh, game with sort of endless replayability. There's no game master. Everybody's the game master in Fiasco. And mm-hmm. uh, you play out situations where people are making bad choices and things are spiraling out of control. Uh, and they all end up in sort of a glorious heap of disaster at the end, typically with one of the characters emerging triumphant and the rest being completely broken by the experience. Mm-hmm. That, that's fiasco. That's that's <laughs> sort of what the game's about. And if that sounds fun to you, then you're my kind of person. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a uh, uh, it's it's a game that's been around for a decade now. And uh, oh wow, yeah, yeah. Next year will be its tenth anniversary. So wow. we're we're uh, we've been playing a lot, uh, a lot of fiasco. I didn't realize it had been almost ten years by now. That's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been really great to to see it uh, thrive. Over that, over the course of that, that long a period of time, we actually just played it over the weekend, and uh, I had a one of our friends that we played it with described it as uh, making a Coen Brothers movie, which I thought was very good. Yeah, so. that, that's a picture I use sometimes. If somebody knows oh. what a Coen Brothers movie is, which mm-hmm. isn't always a sure bet anymore, but uh, to say, hey, you know what, you could uh, make your own Coen Brothers movie in about the time it would take you to watch one. Mm-hmm. Something that I say. Yeah. Very much, uh, the game's very much uh, influenced by neo-noir fiction. So if you like uh, movies like, I don't know, Fargo, right? Mm -hmm. Raising Arizona, uh, Burn After Reading. If you like that kind of thing, then Fiasco is pitch perfect for for that. What playset did you use this weekend, Meg? Oh, we used uh, the high school. Oh, that's a good one. Did you play with the hard tilt? We played with the tilt from the core book. Yeah, yeah. We were all over the place. So yeah, we nice. played with the hard tilt then. That is fantastic. That's was... a, I think that's a great combination. You end up with a game kind of like bricks sometimes. Yeah, there was, oh yeah, lots of death. <laughs> um, good, good game. Awesome. <laughs> so Fiasco uses, it's its own system. Like this is not a game based on something else. This that's, is That's correct. Yeah, it's a, it's a unique game. Um, it wears its influences on its sleeve. I mean, it's of its time. Yeah. I, I was influenced by other designs, but it's it's unique, yes. Sure. Yeah, and, and like you said, you're, there's no GM. So you're building the this movie or this story by... You don't even you don't start with your own character, which I thought was really interesting. A lot of role-playing games have you start with who you are. Mm-hmm. But Fiasco kind of has you start with your relationship to everyone else. Yeah, that's right. You, you don't quite know who you are until you know uh, how you're connected to the other people in the, in the story you're about to tell mm-hmm. and what what uh, your character needs and mm-hmm. what places and objects are going to be really important to the story, which works great uh, because, and I'll probably come back to this because I harp on it all the time, but the mm-hmm. idea that we're really pat- pattern matching animals, sometimes it feels like magic when you set up a, a fiasco game, all those pieces fall into place and in a way that feels miraculous. Sometimes you'll, you'll mm-hmm. get, uh, you know, I'm, I know that you and I are playing business rivals and me and Steve are playing lovers and uh, you and I need to get revenge on somebody for uh, doing us dirty. And it all just comes together and we instantly know who our characters have to be. Yeah. And, uh, and that can be really satisfying and fun. Oh, it definitely is. I liked that a lot. Yeah, our high school, we we immediately knew, you know, who was the popular rich kid and who was the <laughs> new teacher who was in over their head, and um, it was it was so perfect. Just by the choices you made during the setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Really- yeah, I love yeah. that. It flows so easily, and then the rest of the game, you're you know you're using these dice to set up these scenes with each other and to to flesh out this story. And then you mentioned the tilt, which is tilting, turning everything on its head, everything you thought you knew may not be true. Yeah, things change dramatically. 
mm-hmm. uh, as as you would have in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, and that is pulled directly from uh, improvisation. That's a, a really common term in improv. The tilt. Ah, okay. How, how the scene changes. Ah, I, I did not know that. You're getting the deep cuts. I, I am. I'm learning all of this stuff about improv now. James would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is this it's a solid game. It has been working well. There are you you know, you asked what playset I used. There are so many different playsets now. There are lots of supplement books. There are a lot of different ways to play on this very solid framework that is fiasco that's been you know, it's almost ten years old now. What what pushed you to, to go back and want to revisit it and redesign it in a major way? Yeah, that's a great question. So so one of the things that made it successful is that it's essentially a, a an open tool set. Once you know how to play, a, a typical reaction is, oh, I want to make my own playset now, and and mm-hmm. the tools are there. It's very easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually it's not easy, but it's not super hard. Like yeah. Basically, you have to come up with 144 interesting things. So you know it's. Not a super low barrier to entry, but it's not super difficult. Right. Uh, and that's part of the game's success, right? Is that people have been excited and have made uh, additional things for it. And that feeds on itself uh, in, a, in, a, in a nice way. So it's been 10 years. Uh, it occurred to us that um, we'd learned a lot. Like we've, we've learned a lot about how to play the game. Uh, I've played the game thousands of times, <laughs> feels like. And, uh-huh. uh, and I catch myself doing things that are not in the rules. Oh. And I realize those things should be in the rules because that's just, it's better play. It makes the game more efficient or it makes the game more interesting if you just sort of turn some some dials very slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or it makes the game play faster. Or, you know, like depending on what the circumstances are, I've developed a whole series of, uh, you know, shorthand for, for uh, improving the game. And I realized that um, we should just share that. And our first thought was, well, we can, you know, put out a revised edition that, that changes the the rules slightly. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I got really interested in uh, the the challenge of changing the format of the game in, mm-hmm. in ways that were uh, logical based on what we knew. So uh, when Fiasco came out, it was absolutely established practice that you needed to have if it's going to be an indie game, it's going to be a six by nine mm-hmm. uh, perfect bound book that's about 128 pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just that's just how the world was. <laughs> yep, looking at my shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Right, uh, I've got a whole bunch of games on there, and they're all exactly the same uh, uh-huh. format. And there's nothing wrong with that format. And yeah. obviously, we still produce uh, products in that format. But like, that's not the only option available. Just like starting with designing your characters is not the only option mm-hmm. available from for making a game's procedures. So w- once that sort of idea got into my head, I really became obsessed with figuring out how to improve things using the technology and resources we have available to us now. And that led to some really cool stuff uh, that makes the game even better in ways that I hadn't predicted. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm happy to talk about those in great detail if you want. Yes, please. You, now uh, that you've teased them, I have to uh, know. <laughs> okay. So the new, uh, this new version, which we're calling right now, we're calling it Fiasco in a Box. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the initial sort of discussion was around a second edition, and it's not really that because everything we're going to do is going to be compatible with the original game. It's oh, not cool. really an, a new version of the game. But um, what it's going to do is live up to the promise of a game that's zero prep. Everybody wants a zero prep game, and none of them mm-hmm. are. Well, Fiasco is kind of close to that, and now it's going to be, because uh, you're not going to need any materials other than what comes in the box. And we're getting rid of the dice. We're replacing them with cards, which opens up some super interesting uh, mm. uh, opportunities based on the affordances of cards. Uh, we're, we're doing all that cleanup I mentioned based on lessons learned. And that's stuff like uh, if you have a four, this is sort of inside baseball for fiasco diehards. If you have a four player game, always have two needs. Officially in the game, it says mm-hmm. you, you need to have an object need, a location, one other thing. That one other thing should always be a need. And in fiasco in a box, it always will be. Also, mm-hmm. needs should not be adjacent to each other uh, unless you want the game to be about one character. You know, these are just like really simple things, and that's the way I always play now. But it's not the way the game's written. So, like that stuff's going to get that stuff's going to get fixed, and not fixed, but but uh, honed. It's going to be refined. So, so some of the interesting things about using playing cards or poker size cards for this 
cards have two sides. Cards can be randomized really easily. Um, you can do all the state tracking that dice do in Fiasco just as easily with cards. Once you've randomized the setup in traditional, original fiasco, the dice become state trackers, right? They're either black mm -hmm. or white. They're either positive or negative. Well, cards do that quite well, but they also allow you to randomize. They allow you to uh, to tune, which is something I'm so excited about. Uh, imagine if you have a, a set of cards. I'm totally nerding out, Meg. I hope that's okay. Do it, do it, do it. All do right, it. okay. So so you've got, uh, imagine you've got a set of cards that are the playset for, let's say, Poppleton Mall. Mm -hmm. Those cards are numbered. And mm -hmm. then you've got another set of cards that are uh, the playset for business casual, another playset, also mm -hmm. numbered. Well, I can look at those cards and decide which ones I think are the very best and put together my own deck that is a combination of business casual and Poppleton Mall. And I can share that with people. I can be like, this is my custom deck. Use these cards from this deck, these cards from this deck. And now you have the business uh, that is uh, attached to the mall. Oh or, my gosh. Right. Or the corporate headquarters of the whatever company that's inside the mall. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a, a completely different play experience. And there's just no good way to do that the way the game is set up now. I mean, yeah. you could like, you could take, you could print out both play sets and cross some items out or it would just be a mess. Mm -hmm. But with mm -hmm. playing cards, it's super easy. You can actually do it on the fly if you wanted to. You could even just mix them together and use all the, all the elements from both of them. Uh, and, uh, I'm just, I can't wait to see what people do with that. I think it's going to be really interesting because you can also like force two play sets that shouldn't go together together. So what oh, happens yeah. when you can buy Poppleton Mall and the ice, right? That's, you're going to have to do some real uh, <laughs> fictional gymnastics to make it work. With, uh -huh. Maybe with flashbacks or uh, with smash cuts to weird Antarctic uh, vignettes. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't tried it, but somebody's going to, and that's going to be beautiful. Yeah. You can also uh, do things like uh, add new uh, tilt elements. You can add or change elements to the aftermath. Uh, because they're card-based, you can shuffle these things around and create a different tone really easily. So like right now, we have a soft tilt in the Fiasco Companion that, that's mm -hmm. not so violent and horrible. And we've got a harder tilt in the base game. You can mix those together. Um, we could, and I'm hoping we will, author new cards that can... Uh, be used to to change the tone from uh, violent horror to melancholy uh, or to mm. wrote to like doomed romance. I, I don't know. The the possibilities are uh, are vast, and I'm really excited about that. The other nice thing about cards is that it means that everything is going to go faster. It, you're able to visually represent the setup much quicker. Uh, you're you're able to resolve the tilt much quicker. Uh, the game mm -hmm. just goes faster. It cuts somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes off playtime at a minimum, which is also great. So like, oh, that's yeah. some of the stuff that, that I'm excited about. Uh, and that was a result of sort of opening my brain to the idea of changing <laughs> the format. Yeah. With the cards, are you still choosing from the lists or are you getting one randomly? You know, like when you set up your, your needs or your... Um... Your relationship. My intention is that you would choose, but okay. they're, but because they're in a format that's inherently randomizable, you could <laughs> just say, we're going to play with this, 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 and this, let's go, yeah. uh, which would also be kind of fun and a challenging different mode of play. Oh, man. That's cool. Yeah, I think so. I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's one of the things that... um like it was very easy to set up and to play, but there was a lot of time spent like passing the book around and going through like, you know, the, the time it takes to, to set all that up too. Yep. Um, and, and also you need a bunch of materials, right? You need index mm -hmm. cards and Sharpies and 20 mm -hmm. dice in two different colors, which is, yeah. you know, for, for uh, <laughs> someone who's new to role playing, that's a yeah. kind of a big ask uh, right off yeah. the gate. Some, as... some of us have that in our backpacks, but not all of us do. So. Exactly. Exactly. I'm also yeah. really excited about that, that this is going to end up being a game that's in a box with cards that, that doesn't freak yeah. people out. It, it'll be uh, a pretty frictionless situation where you mm -hmm. know what to do. Uh, and I think it'll broaden the game's appeal that, that this particular version is going to um, be very self-explanatory and welcoming oh, yeah. to people who are new gamers. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't count the number of times I've talked to old friends and, and people recently and they're like, oh, what, you do games and stuff? I'm like, yeah, tabletop games. And and they like, we end up talking about board games. And I think this would make it like very much more accessible to that 
group of people and maybe get them in to play more role playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. I would love <laughs> it's a for gateway it. drug. It, it's uh, I think uh, candidly, Fiasco Harvey is kind of a gateway drug. Um, oh yeah. But you still need that person who has taken the energy and commitment to have the book and the dice and the cards and then mm-hmm. evangelize it. Whereas mm-hmm. I think this will be uh, a standalone experience that even if you don't have that, you'll still be able to enjoy it. And nice. uh, so I'm really, really excited about that. And none of this, uh, it, it's all backward compatible with the original game. And cool. and if you love the way it is now, nothing really is going to change. So. Oh, cool. That's I, I love hearing that. I love hearing that the materials that we have gathered, you know, can still function with, with the new stuff. You know, yeah. I know they'll always function on their own, but it's nice to bring some something new in to to shake it up a little bit. Um, yeah, I agree. Awesome. How far are you guys in this? Golly. Um, <laughs> we've been working on it for uh, sort of quietly for a year. I think the first time anybody <gasps> outside the company saw it was at Origins 2017. Ooh. And uh, we, we had it at Origins this year, just a few weeks ago. We'll have it at Gen Con uh, as something nice. to, to demo and show people and play. And uh, it is... Uh, it's reaching the point where we're thinking more about uh, how to actually format and, and explain and produce rather than how to make it work as a game. Uh, yeah. Most of the changes that need to be made for it to be functional are in place. So I'm happy awesome. about that. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, it's, is it just kind of deciding what is going into it now? Like which, like which play sets go in the box and which. Yeah, there's some of that. Um, also we want to make sure that we have a, um, a working uh, template and pipeline so that people can build their own stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ideally, and we're still wrestling with this, I'm not sure what format it'll take, but in, mm-hmm. my, in my mind, it would be great if you could make your own spreadsheet of uh, cards for the playset and have it mm-hmm. exported directly to like drive through cards and also mm-hmm. have it spit out a, a, a print and play version for you. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a hard technical problem that we haven't quite licked yet, but that's our goal. Uh, one of the things that we recognize is that something that drives the game's success is people's own creativity and their ability to make their own things with it. And we don't right. want to shut down on that. I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes. Yeah, um, thanks. It uh, seems like a really interesting challenge that could, could honestly benefit a lot of games. You're right. Being able to do that. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you're right. So, uh, yeah, Fiasco in a Box. Yeah. So, um, have you been playtesting this yeah, version? Yeah. Yeah. Quite a How, bit. How's that going? It's good. It's it's interesting because uh, it's sort of reaching the point where we're we're not seeing huge uh, huge uh, issues. It's now more real edge cases, sort of cantankerous okay. edge cases. Yeah. Um, for a while, it was like, hey, actually, you know what? Those cards, you need to be able to, you know, there, there's a, there's some physical limitations to where it has to be for you to do this thing at the mm-hmm. tilt or, you know, like really things that were uh, much more complex to resolve. And now they're pretty simple things. So that's a good okay. place to be. Yeah, that is. I always, I always like to ask if uh, anybody in your playtesting has done anything that just really surprised you. Well, you know, I th- this is probably not the playtest process for that since it's a very yeah. well-established game and it's mm-hmm. all been, I'm doing it pretty much internally now um, or mm-hmm. with, with a, a close circle of friends. Uh, we're going to broaden that fairly quick. Probably after Gen Con, we'll start to broaden that and we'll, uh, okay. we'll, we'll be uh, uh, getting some external playtests. But at this point, uh, I haven't, I can't think of anything I've seen that really surprised me. Yeah, that's probably good. Yeah. Well, point, yeah. it also makes me nervous because I'm I'm used to <laughs> uh, things coming out of left field as mm-hmm. part of the the play test experience, and we haven't had too much of that. So. Okay, well that'll that'll be interesting to uh, to hear about once it's being tested a little more broadly. When yeah, I'm sure <laughs> how, that's how and when things go off the rails. Yep, I'm sure that's when things will get chaotic, <laughs> and we'll find Excellent. the things that we just assumed because we all know each other so well. Yeah, you guys are probably too nice to each other, so. <laughs> Oh, you have no idea. We are, we are so not nice to each other. Okay, good. No, no, no. Uh, in games, man, it's rough around here. Like I have, uh, uh, like a local crew that I play with, and we've played mm. together for many, many years, and mm. and uh, we know each other very well. And it's no, it, there's nothing nice about it. It's definitely hardcore demolition derby, playing to fail. Not no. 
Yeah. And game game grudges going back years that no one can remember how they started. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. a little of that going on too. Although we love each other, Good. all of us. Good. You know, but. Good. That's important. Yes. <laughs> that's. I feel like that's the best kind of group to pl- to uh, to play and test with. I so. agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not always the greatest. What? what uh, I, I think Uh-oh. it. it <laughs> dish in the dirt. It. Uh, all it, right. It, it certainly influences my design. Right. You look mm-hmm. at my, you look at my games, I'm making them for myself and ultimately for the people that are closest to me that I dearly love. And so like, if my friends are super into like trudging through a swamp and gradually dying, that's the game that's going to come out of, of yeah. sort of my creative process mm-hmm. because I want to delight them. So, um, yes, uh, I think, yeah. I think you see that inform my design choices. Uh, and that's, uh, slowly changing over time, but, you know, as we, as we change and as yeah. our priorities change. Get older and play other games and think different, differently about how we approach them. Um, That's definitely but, true. Yeah. Well, I think the fact that they that the games that you have put out resonate so well with people, it says a lot about uh, who we're all playing games with. Yeah, so. maybe, maybe so. <laughs> And, and I have a kind of a reputation, right? People are like, oh, that's mm-hmm. like a Jason Morningstar game. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's a kind of a mixed blessing because I think I'm, I'm changing. I'm not that guy as much as I used to be. Um, yeah. And uh, my hope is that people will uh, still be engaged and excited, even if uh, my aesthetic changes over time or my uh, interests change over time. Um, but yeah. we'll, you know, we'll see. That is true. And I guess that actually kind of... Uh, leads into one of the questions that I got on Twitter was from Engineer, who is a loyal listener of the show. We get lots of good questions from them. Um, and one, wanted to know if this revised version of Fiasco was going to be more crunchy mechanically. And it sounds like the the, the opposite is the intent here. Yeah. Engineer, it's going to be less, uh, less mechanically complex it, it, on a very cool. slight level. Um, yeah. the game, the gameplay is very similar. If you know Fiasco, there's a setup and an act and then a tilt and then another act and an aftermath. That's all exactly the same. The, the less mm-hmm. crunchy piece is that you're using cards, which are very fast. You don't have to wrangle dice. There's no interpretation. There's no lists to pour over. It's just going to play a little bit yeah. quicker. So I would, I would suggest that it is less crunchy, but that's a great question. I feel like the the Jason Morningstar brand so far has not been super high crunch. So yeah, I'd agree with that. I think which my is, games have, have cool. k- kind of gotten simpler over time, um, with mm. with some notable exceptions. Yeah, that is true. And then I wouldn't was curious about um, if you were doing anything with Fiasco to lend it more towards campaign play because I know there's at least one Fiasco podcast that exists. Yeah, yeah, those guys are <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah. Th- well, uh, so there are already is uh, there are rules uh, for playing in train wreck mode, which links multiple (laughs) fiascos together. Uh, But, but uh, so yeah, I I don't think there's going to be much, uh, much innovation in that area, but I think those rules will be wrapped into the core of the game. So that, so that um, if you want to play two in a night or play three over three weeks that you certainly Mm -hmm. can and and make them meaningful and connected and it's going to be easier to do. So (laughs) Like with this this sort of deck tuning card thing, you know, if it's mm-hmm. Poppleton Mall and Business Casual, and then the next week it's half Business Casual and half Tales from Suburbia, and then the next week it's half Tales from Suburbia and half Home Invasion, and it so <laughs> so you've got these thematic through lines as well mm-hmm. as um, you know sort of intentional uh, uh, elements that you're drawing from. Mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be easier and more fun. That's a cool way to do it. So, so that's uh, that is the revised version of Fiasco, which hopefully we'll be able to play with uh, sometime in the not so distant future. Definitely, if, if you're going to be at Gen Con, we'll be there probably at Games on Demand offering it, and we can certainly show it off. Um, nice. And uh, I'll I'll be at Metatopia. I'll be at Big Bad Con. Uh, oh, good. So okay. I'll be I'll be around if you're at any of those events. Come say hey, and I can show it to you. Yeah, that'll be cool. So you, uh, on top of working on this new version of Fiasco, I know you've been doing some redesign work uh, on a game that isn't your own. Right? Yes. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> several of them, actually. So, oh, boy. Yeah, no, this is good news. Uh, so uh, I was approached by Evil Hat, who is in a oh, partnership nice. with John Harper, mm-hmm. uh, John Harper of Blades in the Dark and Aegon. And they said, hey, we want to redesign Aegon. Uh, do you want to do that? 
do you want to work with uh, John to redesign Aegon? And I said, yes, yes, I would. Uh, so at this point, uh, my redesign work is done. I handed them a manuscript. Uh, it's being play tested, I think, through the end of this month. And then I'm not sure what the, the next piece of that is. But um, it, there'll be a revised edition of Aegon that is very modern in its sensibilities. And Ooh. it's going to be super cool. Uh, cool. Probably next year, I would imagine. You, oh, nice. Are you familiar with Aegon? Do me to give the, I am not. Let me give you the pitch uh, on Aegon. So, yeah. so John Harper wrote this, I think, in 2006. Um, it's a game where you play uh, sort of Greek heroes of legend. And you're cool. going around doing Greek hero stuff, like, uh, you know, fighting giant boars made out of solid gold and throwing, throwing things into the sun and just being awesome. It's an explicitly competitive game. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're a band of heroes and you've got hero stuff to do but you also want to be the best of those heroes. So you're competing to get the most fame and glory uh, against the other players in the game. So there's a game master who's presenting you with interesting obstacles and challenges, uh, but there's also this sort of internal competition among these super cool badass heroes, which is, uh, which is pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, I took a look at it and uh, worked really hard to keep the game pretty much what it was, but sort of maybe uh, updated a little bit. There were pieces of it that actually didn't really work. Like if you played the game as written, it was going to take you, I don't know, like 40 sessions to achieve uh, uh, the end game piece, which was a little much. And so part of the design brief was like, this should take a dozen, you know, you should be able to play this all the way through to a cool conclusion in, in 12 sessions, each of which is a different, uh, island in the uh, Greek archipelago in the Aegean with a different weird problem, and uh, mm-hmm. so that's it was really fun. It was uh, it was surprisingly difficult because uh, I love Aegon. I played the hell out of it when it first came out, and for a few years thereafter, mm-hmm. and uh, so I felt like I had a real handle on the game's play and mechanics and what needed to to change. But at the same time, I'm really used to working in my own way with my own sort of design sensibilities. And mm-hmm. in this case, the, the brief was change as little as you can, right? Update this game, <laughs> make it make it into a more modern uh, game, but don't mess okay. with it too much. Oh, all uh, right. Which was really hard. It was yeah. surprisingly difficult. You would think that, that a light touch like that would be pretty easy, but it's really the opposite. I feel like I could have made a really cool game about uh, competing Greek heroes starting from scratch that would have mm-hmm. happened much quicker than the the real precise and gentle modifications to an existing game that I was charged with. Um, so in the, in the end, it's a better game for it. But wow, that's, it was uh, it was a, a tough process for me. Yeah, I can imagine. And and you <laughs> answered one of the questions I was curious about was how familiar with it you were before approaching this redesign, but it's still never going to be the level of familiarity as, as the thing that you created and have been right. playing and living for, yeah. for 10 years. Well, and but, the, yeah. the, uh, uh, right. So like John's the expert, like John Harper mm-hmm. wrote the game. He knows what it, what it should be like and what he wants it to be. And um, that's what evil hat wanted. So like it, it made a lot of sense for them not to say, Hey Jason, make us a game about Greek heroes because right. that would not be the game they wanted. It would be a weird game that I made. And mm-hmm. uh, so you know, it, there was, it, it was a very interesting process. Uh, there was a lot yeah. of compromise and finding ways to, to work within a framework that was familiar to me, but also a little alien because it was like, it's John's game. It's his design right. sensibilities, choices he made. Um, so mm-hmm. so that was, it was fun and good. It really stretched me, I think. Uh, it was very challenging. Very cool. And, and I mean, and he reached out and asked you for a reason. Totally, so. yeah. No, I, um, I felt confident and I was very honored that he thought of me yeah. uh, and I think yeah. it's a better a better game because of that right like there's some of my special sauce in there now but it's, <laughs> it's still his game uh, sure. which is cool yeah he got he got a different perspective yep. on it is is that something um, that you thought about when you were redesigning fiasco getting like another perspective or someone else in there or that's a that's a great question um, now I, I will say that for some of our other games that is absolutely happening. We're in the mm-hmm. process of redesigning the Shabel Hiri Roach, which is the first game we published. Um, and that is a project that is almost completely out of my hands, which is awesome. 
Uh, yeah. we, we got, uh, like Jay Treat to uh, redesign it. Uh, and he's doing such a good job. It's going to be amazing. Um, and that's been a pleasure. But with Fiasco, I, that didn't even occur to me. Uh, I really, yeah. I feel very strongly about it. I love the game. Yeah. And I've got like a real hardcore team of people around me who are involved in the process. So mm-hmm. Alex Roberts is deeply involved. Steve Segetti is deeply involved. Brennan mm-hmm. Reese. Uh, so like those core Bully Pulpit Games team are all there uh, supporting this. So I didn't feel like it would be a real good move to hand it off to someone outside of that uh, cabal, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely definitely not meant as a judgment call. Just curious like how how you might like in your position and then in John's position, like how, how do you judge, I guess, when you need that extra perspective yeah, it's, on? It's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think some of it has to do with the exigencies of business. In mm. in the case of Aegon, I think John was too busy. Um, yeah. that, like he, he certainly had the ability to do it, uh, but the, the timing just wasn't right. And Evil Hat really wanted to get it produced. So they were like, well, Timing's not right for you. We want the game to be produced. Who do you trust to do a good job at this? Uh, cool. I think that's what happened there. And similarly with the Shabalhiri Roach, uh, we're in a similar boat. Like I don't have the the time or yeah. the bandwidth to redesign it, but I absolutely trust that J Treat is going to do a great job with it. So very cool. Yeah. So uh, one of the other questions that I got on Twitter was from our friend Vince Eaton, and uh, he wanted to know if you would talk a little bit about social responsibility of game design or in-game design. Sure, yeah. There, there wasn't a, a very specific question, just thought that you would have uh, some thoughts on that subject. Okay, well, Vince, <laughs> I'm going to go off on a tear then, right? Good. <laughs> I hope that's... I think that's what he wants. Great. <laughs> Uh, so like games are a powerful way to teach and learn, right? And people love them. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that over and over again in all kinds of settings, uh, where, uh, people aren't necessarily used to games, seeing their eyes light up when you say, we're gonna, we're gonna use a game to deliver this material. Um, mm-hmm. a great example of that is student nurses. I, I designed a game to orient some student nurses to a pediatric oncology ward. And, and they were really scared because they were dealing with really sick kids. And their orientation was typically an hour of someone standing up and telling them where all the things they needed to know were. Yeah. And they would forget it all the minute they got to the, the ward. And so uh, we made a game out of it. And it was a really simple game. It was basically a treasure hunt that they did in dyads that the staff on the ward were complicit in. They knew what was happening. And uh, so... They, these nurses all gathered, nurse, nurse students all gathered, and I said, okay, well, uh, you know, the the uh, the team that wins this gets a prize. I don't remember what it was. It was something dumb. Mm-hmm. And their, all their yeah. eyes lit up. And they, they <laughs> did all the stuff, and they retained all the information and uh, were ready to work because they had something to focus on uh, that was mildly competitive but also interesting and challenging and it wasn't about the sick children around them and it worked great so like that's a i think an example uh from my own experience Mm. that that i you know i'm always thinking well how what am i trying to teach and what are people trying to learn because this is such a pure and powerful medium for that combine that with the fact that games are political right the act of play is political ask yourself who gets to play what are they playing who isn't playing what's it say about leisure and money and class and labor right like games are explicitly political and people who say i don't want politics in my games they've already missed the boat because that's just not how the world works so think about that think about like um how games allow you to try stuff out, right? You can try on roles and personas and agendas, and you can do it in a way that is safe and hopefully respectful. And that's just such a gift, right? Mm-hmm. You can, I'm sure that you know people who have explored aspects of their own personality or choices that they had to make uh, through through gameplay. Or, or you know people who do that all the time. Like I know people who, gaming isn't therapy, it never will be, but but they're allowed to behave in a way in the games that they're not in real life for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And it's a safe and healthy outlet for that. So, yeah. so all, all that stuff is, is a, just a way to, to, to preface my belief that um, we really should be making and playing games that embody our ideals. And, and your, our, our ideals can be like, do good in the world. I mean, that's, that's fine, but they could also be things like um, uh, be in community in this moment with your friends and bond over laughter 
or bond over a very hard imaginary struggle. That's, that is something that we might want to see. That's an ideal, right? Because that makes the world better. That makes you a better friend. Uh, it, it maybe, maybe it makes someone less afraid or more brave. So like, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to make a game about the struggle. Yeah. Maybe it's a game that is going to just bring people together. And that's cool. I think that's great. So like, there's nothing wrong with escapist fun. It, mm -hmm. I, I've made games that are just stupid and that's great. <laughs> I have no trouble with that. I think there is something wrong with reveling in sociopathic violence, which is a point that I, I hit all the time. Uh, I mm -hmm. think there are games that are about hurting people and that's how you, you succeed and how you gain credit and uh, how you gain yeah. reputation. And I think that that's not cool and I don't ever want to play one. Yeah. And I don't ever want to play any game with someone for whom that's, that's why they're there. Uh, so like, that's, that's something that, that I'm always thinking about. And I like, I make some dark games. Like my games are about some dark shit and mm -hmm. my games have violence and terror and death in them. Uh, many of them do. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm okay with that to a point because I, I think those are, those things are uh, also important and they can, if you're handling them maturely, they're, they're not uh, trivialized. Yeah. Uh, so like, uh, I, I can't control what you do with my work, right? I hope you won't play Star Wars with it, but if you do, I can't stop you. Um, and, and also if you, um, use my games as alibi for shitty behavior, then I, I think I failed because I don't want you to have that alibi. And I look at, uh, games that do allow that. And some of, some of them of mine, like my first game, the Shab Hiri Roach, sometimes I get play reports from people who played it and really did use it as alibi for being, completely awful not necessarily mm -hmm. awful to other players but as as a like a, as a player just uh, engaging in behavior that's just gross and that yeah. I, I don't want to see uh, but they're like oh well i was con mind controlled by an ancient telepathic insect so well i'm not making any games about telepathic insects anymore and the new version of the roach is going to be a social deduction party game uh, so Ooh. so it's you know I'm not doing that anymore, but there are lots of games that I think provide that alibi and I think we shouldn't make them. Uh, Cards Against Humanity does that. And uh, I just, yeah. I just can't do it. Um, nope. And that can also be escapist fun, but it, I just, it, it goes a little too far. Um, yeah. And as a designer, I think I have the responsibility for doing my best not to provide that alibi. People will do what they want, but uh, I think that you can design around that. So like the question is, I, I'm, I'm just going on a total rant here, Meg. I hope that's okay. No, that's good. Okay. Thank you. All right. So like uh, I talk about pattern matching all the time and how people love mm -hmm. to connect patterns. Uh, people love to learn. So as a game designer, I have to think, well, what do I want people to learn about and what patterns do I want them to play with? So um, I think there's an unlimited potential for that. When I was, I don't know, nine, I knew the names of 20 different pole arms because I played D&D. Right? Mm -hmm. That was no trouble. So why couldn't yep. I learn about the principles of nonviolent direct action? Right? I totally could have. Mm -hmm. There could be a game that teaches you that, and it could be amazing, and maybe I'll write it someday. But um, the, the, the point I'm just trying to make is that as a designer, I feel like I have a responsibility now to be thinking about what, what I care about and what I want other people to care about and uh, to go back and think about the ideals that I want in a body. So, and that's, so like my, my brain is changing. My, the games I'm making are changing and uh, hopefully that's okay. And hopefully it's not alienating to the people who really l like what I do. I'm really excited about it. Oh, I think thanks. it's very cool. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think a lot of our heroes are. So thank you. That was a good tear. I like okay. it. <laughs> okay. I, I feel strongly about it, obviously. And uh, yeah. I, I'm glad to get a chance to be like, this is what I think. Yeah. No, I, I think that's why Vince asked, and I'm very glad he yeah, did. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Vince. Um, thank you. <laughs> and uh, one other thing that I, I definitely want us to, to talk a little bit about, which kind of ties into uh, the things that you think and the games that you make and where people can find them, um, you have a drip. I do. So, hey, heroes, you probably don't know what a drip <laughs> is. I'm going to tell no, you. What's, what's a drip, Jason? Help. So you're probably familiar with a platform called Patreon. Pa uh -huh. Patreon's a way for people to uh, support uh, designers or artists that they that they uh, like and feel deserve some uh, support. Uh, and Drip is a very similar platform that was developed by Kickstarter. 
So it's in, it's uh, in its early phases of rollout, and it's by invitation only. And we were very fortunate to be recognized as a game company that uh, would fit very well on the Drip platform. Mm. So cool. we have a Drip. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of people who are there that we're sharing interesting stuff with. Uh, we're releasing uh, things monthly, really interesting uh, small games uh, and uh, they're getting first crack at all this stuff. We're having conversations there. Uh, and uh, it is a direct way to support my work, which is great um, because uh, I'm doing this full time now. And uh, it is not a glamorous gig. No, no, not very much. It really isn't. Um, so, yeah, we have a drip platform for Bully Pulpit Games uh, where we're doing really interesting stuff. And it's a way for me to cool. have the time and space to do weird small projects. Uh, that otherwise I couldn't afford to do. So uh, thank you for mentioning it. And uh, I hope people will check it out. Almost all the posts there are free. You can come take a look and see what you think. Oh, neat. Okay, that's interesting. And had you or Bully Pulpit used Patreon before? We had not. Uh, We decided, uh, we we took a look at the sort of the ecosystem for those kinds of uh, monthly crowdfunding kind of platforms. Mm -hmm. And when it became obvious that we could use drip we've definitely jumped on it not just because it's connected to kickstarter with which we have a good relationship but also because as one of the few game companies that are active there we get to help make it something that's going to be good for other companies and individuals as well so our feedback is changing drip in in ways that are uh, hopefully very positive uh, for, yeah. And that other game companies eventually will will enjoy the fruits of our frustration at, at <laughs> some of the weird limits they put on things. And like we're we're making it better uh, as an early adopter, and I, that's a position I like to be in. So, good, good, good. I think that's great. I know. Um, I know Patreon has has a lot of folks that use it, like our one shot network totally. that people can go look at. Um, <laughs> but it is it's definitely a different model in terms of uh, feedback and usability and and all that. So I'm I'm curious to see how Drip grows and evolves. Yeah, me too. And I think a little competition in that space is healthy. Uh, yeah, also, absolutely. and Patreon is uh, it's definitely the dominant uh, voice in that field. And mm-hmm. uh, you know they could use some competition, so I'm happy to give it to them. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> they need it. Uh, anything else that we should know about either uh, the new Fiasco or any other games that you're working on right now? Oh, I can tell you about some stuff I'm working on. Um, oh. Let's see. But let me, so let me just give you uh, an update on where I'm going to be, because I would love to meet your heroes. Yeah. Vince, Hell engineer, yeah. folks, come out, say hi. I'm going to be at Gen Con. I'm going to be doing a LARP writing intensive at Northeastern University fairly soon. I'm going to be at Big Bad Con. Uh, I'm going to be at the first forum uh, at University of Southern California, which is a, a conference by the Cinema and Media Studies program, uh, pr- presenting my game Winterhorn. Uh, mm-hmm. What else? I'll be at Metatopia. Uh, knock on wood, I'll be at Dragon Meet. Uh, so uh, come and say hi. I would love to meet y'all. And in terms of what I'm working on, Fiasco in a Box is number one on my list. And every time I work on something else, I get yelled at. So I'm supposed to be doing that. Okay. I'm finishing up a reskin of Blades in the Dark for uh, John oh. and Evil Hat. Uh, that's called Coney Catchers. And it takes out all the magic and sets it in 1600 in uh, Elizabethan England, uh, which is... Uh, Excellent. Yeah, I'm real excited about it. Uh, it's pretty neat. It's very hard, but uh, I'm getting there. Yeah. I know this is something that was promised as a reward in the Kickstarter 36 years ago. So, so we're, we're getting there, um, and it's fu- it's yeah. been fun to write. Oh man, we got we got to talk about blades reskin sometime because yeah, it's fun but hard. <laughs> yeah, you you doing that too? I'm uh, just for me, yes, but it but I'm trying. Yeah, it's it's a lot. There are a lot of moving pieces, mm-hmm. lots of moving pieces, um, and this is a pretty comprehensive one. Like it'll be new playbooks and a new crew Excellent. and tons and tons of backstory and. It's it's been fun. It's been a deep history dive for me, which I really enjoy. So like, there's there's just the most obscure stuff in it that is like, I think people will read it and be like, okay, he just made some stuff up, and I didn't make stuff up, uh, which yeah. is great. Oh, cool. I'm, That's the best. I, I mean, I did. There's some some places where I yeah. bent history, but a lot of it, like. You, you need a gang in 1600. You can find a gang. So that's that's been fun. Cool. Uh, oh, the other thing, uh, I don't think this has actually been. I think we've hinted about this, but uh, I don't think it's ever been officially announced, but I'm gonna. Ooh. 
Uh, so my friend Lizzie Stark and I, uh, prob mm -hmm. probably next fall, are going to be running uh, an immersive weekend LARP called Telford, which is going to be about a, a union strike at an enamel plant in 1921. Okay. So, so there'll be 70 players and they'll be at, at a wildcat sit-down strike inside an enamel plant. That's what the game's about. Uh, huh. All right. I think it's going to completely kick ass. It's it's going to be good. Oh, it uses uh, music as a game mechanic. So, like, the police are going to come beat your heads in. But if at any point uh, more more than twice as many people are singing the same protest song as there are policemen, mm -hmm. the police will back off. Ooh. So, like, uh, we'll have musicians and singers, and it's just going to be it's going to be cool. It's going to be a game that teaches you about unions and what what uh, what unions have gotten us. So, I'm excited about that. Yeah, Telford. a lot. Yeah, they've gotten us a lot. Yeah. The eight-hour cool. workday, the forty-hour workweek. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so uh, that was a, a rapid-fire jump into what I'm thinking about. <laughs> That's cool, though. Uh, where can we find you online and all of these cool things that you're working on? Yeah, um, I will send you some links. I'll send you. I'll send you a link mm -hmm. to the video of the the game in Austria. And you can you yeah. can see those people going crazy, and that's pretty fun. I am on Twitter at a, at j m s t a r. You can find me on Facebook or Google Plus. My company's Bully Pulpit Games, and I'm around. And I, ho I yeah. hope to see you too. Yeah, you We've are. never. I don't know that we played. Yeah. We certainly haven't played Fiasco together. No, not for real. And we should fix that. Yeah, we played Fake Fiasco, but not real Fiasco. Right. I remember <laughs> Fake Fiasco, and therein hangs another tale. Yep. <laughs> Good times. Yep. Yeah, I think we've I think we've just played some some wild LARPs, but yep. uh but yeah, we'll play a game. I'll be at I'll be at Gen Con definitely. Uh Metatopia definitely. Oh, we're gonna gotta, see each other. We gotta see about some of these other cons, but uh Okay. Yeah. Well uh say hello at Gen Con. Um I don't maybe. know if that's this is gonna come out before or after that, but I'll look forward to seeing you there. Maybe maybe before. I gotta look at my schedule. I don't know what I'm doing. That's all right. That's totally yeah. good. <laughs> this has been great. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. Thank you so much. Huge thanks again to Jason for being on the show and talking about all these different things with me. I'm so sorry this didn't come out sooner, heroes, but keep an eye out for Jason and Fiasco in a Box and any of his other games at conventions in 2019. It's a good game and a good chat you don't want to miss out on. That's it for 2018, heroes. Thanks for sticking with me, and I'll see you in January for another year of Modifier. Follow Modifier on Twitter at ModifierPodcast, or send us questions, comments, and suggestions through email at ModifierPodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is part of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts, including shows like this one. Adventure is an actual play podcast that focuses on the fun of fan fiction and is set in your favorite fictional universes. Join host Pranks Paul as he takes a variety of guests through self-contained stories featuring Harry Potter, Pokemon, Animorphs, and other favorites. To find out more about this and other shows on the network, visit OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.